Well, I'm gonna just wanted to close out our series here on looking at some of the truths of Peter. And uh, the last truth that we're gonna really bring out, there's probably there's more we could have looked at from his letters, but I but there's there's a main theme seen in his last two chapters that I wanted to bring out with you. And it has to do with Peter considering the last days. He considers what takes place in that, and and he discusses the deception and the wickedness of the generation of the last days. Now, that's not re- you know specific only to uh, the last days. I mean, because Peter faced it, the church faced it in in his time, but the significance is that it increases in the last days. And so he talks about a wicked generation, but he also talks about the righteous being preserved. That's the part we need. Amen? The righteous being preserved. And so let's read these verses. We're going to read six verses here in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. And he says, The second epistle, beloved, I write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you would be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandments of us, uh, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, and knowing this, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, where's the promise? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they have from the beginning. We kind of hear that. We don't see anything. Where's the proof? For this, verse 5, for this they are willingly ignorant that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world uh, that then was being overflowed with water perished. And so Peter is writing to the churches to remind us I like what he says, to stir up our pure minds, to stir up the remembrance in us of God's plan and his purpose of what he wants to do. He reminds us of what we can expect as well, that in the last days, scoffers will come. And really, it means those who deride or make fun of what is true, who are not afraid to speak against God and his ways and his people and his authority. They say, where's the proof? Where's the proof that he's coming again? Where's the proof that he created the worlds? We don't see anything. And so because we don't see it with our eyes, we're going to live how we want to live. Right? That's, that's a wicked generation. But notice what Peter says. He says, they are willingly ignorant. Willingly ignorant of what the word of God says. And you know, that's so true when you consider God and creation and what he has done and so forth. And, and, and then when you compare that to the worldly way of thinking about the nature and so forth of evolution and things, and when you really get down to it, life being formed just by chance, the whole premise is give it enough time, anything can happen. Well, I, 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 am, I stand in doubt of that. Give it a trillion years and it's still not going to, you're not going to create something as perfect and beautiful as what we have before us. 
In fact, it takes a, a much more faith to believe in, in evolution, that something came out of nothing, right? Because, you know, evolution believes in the Big Bang. We believe in the Big Bang too, except for us, the Big Bang was the Lord spoke and the universe was created. Well, they believe in the Big Bang, but when you say, well, what happened before the Big Bang? They say, we don't know, because what they're saying is the universe came from nothing. Well, we, we just say the universe came from God. And so God is saying, Peter is saying, is that they are willingly ignorant. Even though the, the truth is right in front of them, his creation. Now he's in the context of creation, but that can apply to everything else. Morality. What is right and wrong? Because we're all born with a sense of that morality, but sin causes it to perish in us. But those who look at creation with the eyes of faith, we, we see something wonderful. We see something magnificent. Like David said in, in Psalm 8 and verse 3, he said, when I consider the heavens, Lord, and the work of your fingers, the moon and stars that you've ordained, what's man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him because you've made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor. The Lord has glorified mankind in the midst of creation to put us in the position we are in. I'm so glad that God's given us the privilege to see his creation with eyes of faith, to see his plan for mankind is, to, you know, his plan is to crown us with glory and honor. Isn't that quite something to think about? Why were we put on this earth to crown us with glory and honor? At least that's what he wants to do. If we will allow him to, if we'll receive faith and walk in that faith, he says, the purpose is to crown us with glory and honor if we follow him. But Peter's warning to us is that we live in the midst of a wicked generation who will seek to affect, to the, in a negative way, God's people to, to, to turn them. In 2 Peter 2, verses 1 through 3, we're kind of skipping around these last two chapters, but it's a central theme. Peter says, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. Now, what's interesting that Peter brings out is, is the wicked can be understood to be composed as those outside the church. I mean, that makes sense. We don't question that, right? There's great wickedness outside of the church. But here he's even describing it as inside the church, even those he says the Lord bought. Whoa. The Lord bought them, and then they turn aside to wickedness, to deceive, to turn, to exploit. That's a scary thing. There's people out there who at one point 
the Lord bought them with his blood and purchased them and, and did a work in them. And then they turn to wickedness, and it says, then they turn to try and exploit other believers or believers. I don't know if they're a believer at that point. But, but you know, that's what Peter's describing here, false prophets, false teachers, those who are in, in the church. And that was Jesus' warning to us is beware. Beware of this wicked generation. Beware of what they will try to do. Excuse me. <clears throat> you know, he warned us of that in, his, in the great chapter he gave us on when his teaching of the last days. Matthew 24, when, when the disciples came and they were saying, Lord, what? He was talking about the temple being torn down. And, and they said, Lord, tell us about this. What, what's the sign? How do we know? What should we know about this? And in Matthew 24 and verse 4, the very first thing he said to them, he answered and said, take heed that no man deceive you. Basically, he's saying that there would many, be many coming, proclaiming the name of Christ, or maybe proclaiming that they know the right way, the way to a good life or the way to a perfect utopia, or even that they know just the way we should live or just the way we should think, it's that we know the right way. One of the hallmarks of the last days is deception. And as believers, we have to be so careful that our eyes are upon the Lord, being led by him, walking in understanding because the enemy is as a roaring lion out there seeking who he can devour or who he can deceive. Because if he can deceive us, he can then devour us at his will. Another hallmark of this generation. In verse 10, it talks about how God has reserved judgment for the wicked, this wicked generation. And, and he says what they're like. He gives some description of them. Verse, 2 Peter 2, verse 10, it says, um, Especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. Hmm. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Yeah, well, those are some traits that are familiar to us, aren't they? Right? That at least we, we see going on in our day. There's a whole generation that's been taught to despise authority, to not be afraid to speak evil of those who, to whom honor and respect are due. And instead, they're consumed with doing their own will, their own way. And not just that, trying to get everyone else to walk in that way too. But you know that in one sense, it puts the fear of God in me, that God would preserve us from the spirit of this age, preserve us. You know, not, not from negative effects of this, but the influence and the effect upon our spirits of this generation, just like he preserved the saints of old. And it's wonderful how you can see those examples in scripture. And in fact, Peter even gives us some examples. He gives us two examples of those who were preserved in the midst of a wicked generation. The first one he mentions is Noah. Second Peter 2 and verse 5, it says, he spared not the old world. He, he, he's coming to judge this world. And he gave us an example of the old world. 
before the flood. He judged it with the flood. But he saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. And so Noah was in the midst of a wicked generation, but he was righteous. He walked with the Lord. You know, the Lord had had enough, and he determined to bring judgment. But then he saw Noah, and he said, this is a righteous man. I'll preserve him because he honors me and honors my way, and he brought him out. Another example is Lot. 2 Peter 2 and verse 7. And he delivered just Lot, who was vexed with the filthy conversation, or another way you could say it, say this, is the shameless conduct, the filthy or shameless conduct of the wicked that he was living amongst. Well, that kind of speaks to us too. Verse 8, for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing their deeds, he was vexed his uh, vexed his righteous soul day by day because of their unlawfulness. That's a familiar story to us, right? But yet we see it even in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? God determined to judge the wicked, the wickedness of those cities, but righteous Lot was living in their midst. God had to send his angels. Yeah, you know, he had a little bit of trouble getting out of there. His family got intertwined and and everything. And to bring his family out, kind of pulling, pulling them. But we see these two examples of those who were righteous and how God preserved them because they loved him and they loved his ways. And Lot's soul was vexed, greatly troubled to see the wickedness around him. And you know that we find a, a commonality with that when we see the wickedness in our society, and so forth, but especially in the church, when the church responds to that. You know, I wonder if that affected Lot's prayer life of crying out to God for his family and so forth. But, but God preserved him and delivered him for, you know, because it says Lot was a righteous man, but it also says because of Abraham, because Abraham was praying and crying out for Lot. And so we want to lift, we don't want to fail to lift up our voices for other people that Lord God preserved them. You know, Lot was delivered because of his righteousness, but also because of Abraham, as it says in Genesis. And so our life and our conduct are going to play a big part in being preserved in the midst of the judgment that is coming in the last days. And, you know, that's something that the church so needs to hear, that it's not just proclaiming the name of Christ that will preserve us, but it is a life that lives for him. That will preserve us from the effect of this wicked generation. You know, the Apostle Paul said this in Philippians 2 and verse 14. It says, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may be blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you are to shine as lights. In the world. That's God's calling for us. We are to shine in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. Well, we're kind of living the message here. Now, we're, we understand that we're going to see some hard times coming in the earth. Well, we're, 
we already know that you know we're living through it but but you know as as hard as it's going to get we can read revelation and kind of shudder like whoo lord how are you going to get us through that but yet we also anticipate glorious times because Jesus said in that same chapter of Matthew 24, after he said, be not deceived, he said also the gospel is going to preach to all the world as a testimony so that all of the world has that choice before them to receive Christ, to have that witness, and then the end will come. But, you know, I think one of the main messages in revival, you know, of course, we're going to be preaching on Christ and you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and holiness and so forth. But I think that those who see beyond will see what's coming. And even in the midst of the glorious revival, I think one of the main messages is going to be what Peter is talking about, is that of preparation, of living a life that is walking in that way where we will be preserved because I think many are going to be touched throughout the whole earth. Many are going to be touched by revival. But in the world, there will be many who are not changed by it. And instead, they will persecute those who are. And so the next emphasis after revival is judgment. Right? When, when God accomplishes his purpose in revival, there's only one thing left. That's to pour out his judgment upon the earth. And so... The cry of our heart is going to be, Lord, preserve me in the midst of judgment. And so I want to look at a few things that Peter brings out. There's, there's a, a lot you could say on this. You could probably make this an interesting series on being preserved in the midst of judgment. But there's just three things I want to look at that Peter brings out that were kind of just quickened to me. Um, and so one thing he says in 2 Peter 2 in verse 14 Peter brings this out about this generation. He says, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin. You know, he doesn't hold back here. Enticing unstable souls, they have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. One thing it says about the wicked, it says they are out to entice and deceive unstable souls. Hmm. What does that say about us? That there's a danger if we do not have stability in our souls, in our desires, in our emotions. You know, you could say our spirit too as well. You know, that, that there has to be that stability. If we have instability, then we're in a dangerous place because this generation, one of their main goals is to entice unstable believers. Now we remember that the wicked can speak of those outside of the church, but also inside. As Peter said, false teachers sharing things that, that sound really appealing and enticing to those who don't have that stability. When in reality, it's leading them astray into covetousness, wicked practices, things that are not of the, of the Holy Spirit. And so the antidote to this is we need stability in our souls. We need to have hearts that are fixed upon Christ, 
fixed upon his ways, doing those things that please him. Here was the Apostle Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3 and verse 16. It says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in his love. Being rooted and grounded. That was Paul's great desire for his people, that they would be rooted and grounded in the love of God. In love for God's ways, in love for his truth, that it would be the overriding factor in their life above all other other things. You know, there's a lot of things we have to be careful of in life. And, you know, we know the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us. But one thing that will keep us is if the love for Christ and his ways is the overriding factor. If we're grounded and rooted in that, he can take care of everything else. Of course, this is something that takes time. It's not something that you can instantly develop overnight, so to speak. It can't be instantly, you know, obtained in the time of judgment. It's something we have to work at and we have to develop in our lives. And so we have to cry out, Lord, let this be my focus. Lord, strengthen me with your might within. Make me rooted and grounded in your love, a stable soul. The second thing that we see in, in 2 Peter in, verse, in chapter 3 and verse 1 is where, where Peter says this. He says in the second epistle, we read these verses earlier, but I wanted to bring out something he says. The second epistle I write, uh, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, to be mindful of the words that were spoken by the prophets and the commandment of the apostle and the Lord and Savior. He says, I want to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. And so Peter's goal was to stir up the pure minds of the church to remember and to know the ways of God. You know, sometimes we need a stirring. You know, we can, we can get into the routine and the habit. And when that happens, we just get a little dull. We don't, the, the life can kind of drain out, so to speak. And perhaps a stirring is needed to study the word of God. Because if there's anything we need today, it's God's perspective, his truth being revealed to our hearts day by day. Sometimes we just need a reminder of God's plan and his purpose. Other times we need to dive in. We need to get into the word and study to receive from him so we can know and trust him. You know, it can, studying can be a little different than in the secular realm. You know, we can, you know, if we, those of us who have been to college, you know, you study, study your brains out, it seems like in college, right? You get your, work really hard to get your degree and graduation day, you say, oh, thank goodness, throw my books away. I'd never have to look at an algebra book again. I heard the witness. But you know, in the Christian life, it's totally different, isn't it? We could never come to that place where you can say, oh, thank God, I don't have to study the Bible anymore. Because we know if we do that, then the life will flow out. But in the Christian life, we have to have that that 
concept of, you know, I have to study. I have to give myself to the word of God because life is found there. Second Timothy 2.15, Paul said to his son Timothy, but really to us, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, but can rightly divide the word of truth. And so we have to study. And we can ask God, Lord, show me. What do you want me to study? What book do you want to speak to me out of? Or, you know, maybe you need a system, a systematic study. The Lord can lead us. Or maybe you just need a little stirring, a refreshing, something different that that you haven't done. You know, one of the things Sarah and I felt to do together is read a, a devotional type book together to allow a stirring, you know, for God to speak something fresh. Stir up our hearts and minds so that he can speak what, what he wants to speak in these days. And so the Lord wants to stir up our pure minds to remember, to hear. One last thought. Peter says something that will surely help us and encourage us. Right? He says that we need to look for the promise of God in these last days. All right? Because if we don't have hope for a promise of what God's going to do, we're going to have a tough time continuing. So 2 Peter 3 and verse 11, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, right? Speaking of the world and everything in the world, and what manner of persons you ought to be in all holy conversation and godliness. Verse 12, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God wherein the heavens shall be on, on fire, being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. You know, as believers, we have a unique perspective on life. And when we see terrible things happening in the world and, and we understand the prophetic of what the, what the Bible says about the last days. Um, you know, when we see difficulty and trouble arising, on the one hand, it troubles our spirits, right? We're like, like righteous lot. We're vexed in our spirits when we see wickedness becoming so prevalent. But on the other hand, the Lord told us about all these things. We, we expect these things to take place. We expect, we're not surprised that darkness is arising in the earth. But we don't leave it there. That's only half the verse that Isaiah says, right? Dark, gross darkness shall come upon the people. But where should we be placing our focus? It's on the second part. It says, but yet the glory of the Lord shall arise upon thee, upon his people. And so as we have that perspective, you know, that, Part of us, when we see calamities coming, I mean, we, we do it in a holy way, but yet we, we kind of rejoice, right? We say, oh, God, you're moving. You told us these things would take place. As Peter says, we're looking for the hastening of the coming of the day of the Lord. And so when we see calamities coming in the earth, we don't welcome them in that sense, you know, but yet we say, Lord, you're coming. Hasten your coming because we want his glory to come. And so we have to, so, uh, so something that is so key to being preserved 
in the midst of judgment is that we train our hearts and our minds to look upon and rest in his promises because having that mindset is so powerful so that we're not discouraged when we see these things taking place. But, you know, there was a time when I was considering a very troubling situation and, and I was looking to the Lord about it and just asking him, Lord, what do you think about this? You know, it's kind of scary when you think about this. Lord, what do you think? What do we do? And, and as I was kind of meditating on that, I just felt God so speak so clearly. And he spoke to me from Hebrews 13 and verse 5, the last part of that verse. And he said, for he has said, I will never leave nor forsake you. Those words, I'd read them many times, but when that entered my spirit, oh, something happened. And it's like that worry and the concern went away. And it's now a promise I can look to. I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's something I can rest in, can keep my my hope fixed in. But, you know, that's what we need to do over and over again, especially in the days to come. And if we do these things, God says he will preserve us in the midst of a wicked generation. He'll preserve us and he'll bring us out to the other side, into the glories that come. Right? Because God's purpose is to crown us with glory and honor. Praise God for that. There's a pathway we have to walk in. Right? There's some things we're going to have to go through. There's some things we're going to see. <laughs> we might have some big eyes as we see, whoa, Lord, what are you doing? You know, it, it kind of works both ways. Right? That eye has not seen, ear hasn't heard what God has prepared. Right? What he's prepared for the wicked, but also what he's prepared for us. And so we might be amazed, but yet we're not going to be overwhelmed as we set our heart upon God. God will preserve us because he has a plan for us in his glorious kingdom that is to come. And so let's set our heart upon him to obtain stability that our heart will be kept in him to stir up. Let's allow him to stir us up through his word. And then let's keep our hearts fixed upon his promises because they're good. Amen. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your plan, that you have a plan in the last days, that, Lord, you have already written down before the world was created every single thing that's going to happen in the days to come, both both for evil and for good. Lord, both the calamity and the glory. And so, Lord, our heart just looks to you. Lord, and we we just trust in you. Lord, and we cry out to you that you would, Lord, work in us and prepare us that we would be among the, that people that is preserved among this wicked generation. Lord, bring us out, Lord, of this wicked generation having a good work done. Lord, make us as those stars that shine in the sky. Lord, as an example of your work being done to turn many to righteousness, Lord. Put that stability within us. Lord, stir us up. Draw us afresh to come to your word. And would you speak fresh things to us? And Lord, as you speak those promises, let our hearts be fixed fixed upon them. Oh God, that we wouldn't be troubled 
because of the things we see or discouraged or downcast. But Lord, our hearts would safely trust in you until you bring us out and we can enter in to your honor and glory. We thank you, Lord. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.